climate change seems to have moved out of the priorities for many decision makers around the world. And this is a suicide. We need unity, we need cooperation, we need dialogue, and the present geopolitical divides are not allowing it to happen. We need to increase the support to developing countries when most of the hotspots in the world come from countries that do not contribute uh, in a meaningful way to climate change. Hello, you're listening to The Lid Is On with me, Connor Lennon. Now, we thought we'd bring you a short bonus episode today, Monday the 19th of September, because my colleague, Nagis Shekinskaya, has interviewed the UN Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, and we wanted to share it with you before the general debate begins tomorrow in the General Assembly Building here at UN headquarters in New York. The interview was an opportunity for the SG to reflect on the events of the last year, which has been dominated by the Russian invasion of Ukraine and the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic, and of course the climate crisis. Mr Guterres recently returned from Pakistan, where floods covered around a third of the country, and there's a real risk of famine in Somalia, which has yet again been hit by drought. Nagis began by asking Mr Guterres what he has to say to those who still don't believe that the climate crisis is real. Climate change is the defining issue of our time. And I'm extremely worried because uh, uh, with the war in Ukraine and with several other events, climate change seems to have moved out of the priorities for many decision makers around the world. And this is a suicide. We see emissions growing and we see uh, fossil fuels become fashionable again. When we know that uh, fossil fuels are the main responsible for the progressive war against nature that uh, uh, we have been waging uh, uh, in, in our history. Uh, it is absolutely essential to reduce emissions from now on. And unfortunately, when we should be able to reduce 45% of the emissions uh, up to 2030, we are with the perspective of increased emissions of 14% in 2030. So we absolutely need to reverse this trend. We are moving into a catastrophic situation and we have not much time to turn things around. And at the same time, when one looks at Pakistan, the level of destruction, an area flooded that is three times the area of my country, we need to increase the support to developing countries, not only in the reduction of emissions, but in building resilience in building the sustainable infrastructure that is necessary for those countries to be able to resist to the impacts that are already devastating over them when most of the hotspots in the world come from countries that do not contribute uh, in a meaningful way to climate change. Thank you. Every year we usher in a new session of the General Assembly, often seen as a highlight of the year for the United Nations. What is your focus for this year's GA, the first since the pandemic that we are meeting in person and with a major war in Europe taking away attention from other priorities for the world? Well, my main objective is to make it clear that the geopolitical divisions that we are witnessing today are terrible when the world is facing climate change, when the world is facing the perspective of other pandemics and the COVID has not yet been solved, when the world is facing high levels of inequality, uh, 
between developed countries and developing countries and huge inequality inside countries, when the world needs to really turn around in all these aspects, we need unity, we need cooperation, we need dialogue, and the present geopolitical divides are not allowing it to happen. We need to change course. The war in Ukraine um, has triggered one of the fastest and biggest refugee crises in human history. Uh, Kyiv was bombed as you were visiting the country. As a, um, how does this crisis differ from many others that you've seen as a high commissioner and uh, later as a secretary general? Most of the crises I have witnessed are crises in developing countries, relatively poor countries, and uh, uh, most of them are internal. Uh, even if afterwards there is an intervention of uh, uh, external powers, but they became as uh, civil wars or terrorist uh, uh, activities inside the country. Now we have a war between one superpower and uh, Ukraine, that is uh, also a modern country, and we are talking of levels of uh, devastation uh, that uh, uh, are not possible uh, in situations where the, the, the nature of the armaments and the military capacity uh, in place uh, uh, are completely different. So this is indeed, the, once again, a war between two states, created by the invasion of one state by another, uh, with levels of armament and uh, levels of uh, 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 mobilization of forces that is unparalleled uh, in recent times. On the other hand, uh, we are witnessing the fastest movement of refugees and displaced persons in recent history uh, with terrible humanitarian consequences. You are hosting a major gathering to look at transforming education, which has suffered in so many countries. Uh, you are keen to find responses to the economic slowdown that has seen a massive decline in progress in sustainable development. In the midst of major geopolitical tensions, what is your best case scenario to make progress on these fronts? Well, if I had to choose one thing to improve the world situation in peace and security, that thing would be education. If I had to choose one thing to improve the capacity of understanding of climate change and the, the response to climate change, that thing is education. When uh, I look to anything that could reduce inequalities in the world, that thing would be education. But unfortunately, we are seeing with the dramatic situation that we have in the world today, climate, war, um, uh, pandemics, we are seeing budgets, education budgets being reduced. And so the Summit on Education is a moment to mobilize the whole international community to make countries understand that they need to invest much more in education and to make developed countries understand that they need to amplify together international financial uh, institutions the support to developing countries for them to be able to invest in education. We have launched the International Finance Facility for Education with Gordon Brown, and my hope is that this facility will be quickly funded by uh, all donors in order to make really a difference in the most vulnerable populations in the world. Thank you. Your Black Sea Grain uh 
initiative has already seen almost 3 million tons of food from Ukraine leave for destinations across the world, helping alleviate the food crisis and saving lives. What are some of the essential components of this success story? How optimistic are you that this formula could be applied to other complicated situations? I think that this has demonstrated that uh, discrete diplomacy still is able to achieve what megaphone diplomacy does not. This agreement would not have been possible if we had not worked persistently to get it done uh, with high discretion, avoiding the creation of uh, situations in which inevitably uh, both parties start to fight each other. Uh, and this is, I would say, the recipe for many other crises in the world. Let's do everything possible to reestablish the importance of discrete diplomacy in crisis solution in today's world. Thank you. Human rights have always been one of the pillars of the UN's work. You have flagged the dangers posed by rising hate speech, xenophobia and populist nationalism. Why is this happening? And what, on the other hand, gives you hope? Well, these things have always existed in the world, but they are now immensely amplified by social media and by all the uh, IT platforms that exist uh, around the world. On the other hand, um, when uh, countries have difficulties in solving their problems, um, nationalism, xenophobia, uh, making scapegoats, uh, the foreigners, um, is uh, uh, unfortunately something that is becoming more and more frequent. We need to understand that uh, human rights must unite, unite communities, unite countries, that uh, racism and xenophobia are two absolutely unacceptable manifestations of hatred that we need to be able to eliminate in our world. Thank you very much. For a long time you have been expressing concerns over the reality that the world is moving in the direction of polarization or what you've called the Great Fracture. As Secretary General, it is obvious that this political reality makes your job more difficult. What can you do to bring the world together? I have not the power to uh, make miracles. What we can do is to be determined, to use as much as possible the instruments at our disposal the good offices, the mediation, and to do everything possible to make the world understand that the enormous challenges that we face can only be addressed with solidarity and with cooperation and unity. This time last year, it was COVID-19 that seemed to be the biggest global crisis we were all living through, impacting the General Assembly and uh, the UN operations. What should governments and the UN be doing uh, to keep public health high uh, up on the agenda? Well, first of all, uh, it, it is very important to solve the problems of vaccination where those problems still exist. And this is something that is mobilizing the UN system uh, entirely. And second, it is absolutely essential to provide the countries that were impacted by the COVID, by the lockdowns, by the end of tourism, by many other aspects, and that uh, are today in a desperate uh, situation, in a perfect storm 
uh, without fiscal space, uh, with uh, uh, an increased debt, uh, it's necessary to have mechanisms of debt relief, to have mechanisms of provision of liquidity to the uh, developing countries that are more in stress, including uh, middle-income countries, in order for them to be able to recover uh, when we saw that uh, uh, the richer countries were able to print uh, uh, billions or even trillions uh, to relaunch their economies. Unfortunately, developing countries cannot do the same. If not, their currencies would, of course, uh, go down the drain. And so international solidarity must be reestablished. As you have started your second term, how do you feel you would like to make the UN fit for purpose? What is the biggest reform you would like to see happen if you had it your way? Now we have launched our common agenda. Our common agenda uh, is uh, uh, a series of uh, uh, projects, of ideas, of proposals, whose objective is to make the UN much more effective and at the same time to reestablish multilateralism uh, as uh, the way to solve the world problems. Uh, my main objective is to make our common agenda uh, be uh, developed and adopted by member states and transform itself into the main instrument we have supporting the Agenda 2030 and the Sustainable Development Goals in order to be able to bring more peace, more development, more justice and uh, uh, effective respect of human rights to the world. Uh, given your emphasis on gender parity and engaging youth, what will you do to ensure your legacy in this respect? Do you want to see a young female successor? Well, first of all, uh, we have reached parity already uh, in relation to senior uh, management of the UN, uh, about 200 uh, senior leaders. We have parity in the uh, resident coordinators, which means the coordinators of the UN action at, uh, in the different countries of the world. And we are moving uh, with the objective of reaching parity in 2028 uh, at all levels of the United Nations work. On the other hand, uh, we have been mainstreaming gender into all policies of the UN and to all the action of all agencies and in all the work that uh, we do. Um, about uh, uh, the Secretary General, I'm sorry, I'm not a woman, uh, but uh, I would, of course, uh, see with uh, a lot of uh, uh, interest and sympathy uh, the possibility to have uh, women, uh, uh, not only as Secretary General of the United Nations, but as leaders of the most important countries in the world. You've been listening to my colleague Nagis Shekinskaya's interview with the UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres. Tomorrow is the start of the general debate. The road outside UN headquarters was blocked off already when I came in this morning. I had to show my pass far more times than usual and there were plenty of police and Secret Service people outside First Avenue. Because of the funeral of Queen Elizabeth II, which took place today, things have been rearranged. Lots of the world leaders are now speaking on different days, different times, because, of course, so many of them were at the funeral. So do keep an eye on UN Web TV, where you can see speeches live. And we will, of course, have full coverage on UN News as well. Other things to look out for this week, the SDG moments. Now, this took place this morning. It had lots of high-profile celebrities there. Young American poet Amanda Gorman, Korean K-pop band Blackpink, African music superstar Angelique Kijo, and Priyanka Chopra. By the time you're listening to this, it would have finished, but you can, of course, 
watch the whole thing on UN Web TV. It's also the last day of the Transforming Education Summit, and uh, many world leaders have been making national statements of commitment to try and put an end to this global education crisis that we're going through and uh, produce an education system fit for the 21st century. And Global Goals Week is ongoing. It began last Friday and goes on until next Sunday. That's the 25th of September. Around 170 partners of the UN taking part in that. And uh, just Google Global Goals Week. That's probably the best way to find everything that's going on there. And I'll be back on Friday with the real Lid is on episode for this week, and we'll be focusing on what's being said about the climate crisis. I'll be trying to test the temperature, no pun intended, ahead of the big UN climate conference, which is going to be taking place in Egypt in November. That's COP27. So have a great, I was going to say week, uh, next few days. I'll be back on Friday.